Hey, what's up? And thanks for listening to the Give Me Understanding podcast. I'm the host, Aaron Dodson. Psalm 119, verse 34, best describes this podcast. The psalmist wrote in the long ago, Give me understanding, and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe it with my whole heart. This is the podcast where I discuss the sacred text and do my best to help myself and others understand it so that we might keep God's law and that we might observe it with our whole heart. In this episode, I'm going to continue a seven-part one. uh, Let's see, this will be the fourth of seven parts of the final sayings, the seven final sayings of Jesus from the cross. These are words that have meant much to the followers of Christ from the time they were spoken. It's incredible to think about what Jesus said of all the things that he could have said from the cross, he spoke words of forgiveness. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. He spoke words about the future when he said, Assuredly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. He spoke words about his family when he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son, and then to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour that disciple took her to his own home. And then fourth, when Jesus spoke from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This phrase, this statement, this fourth of the seven sayings from the cross is recorded in Matthew twenty-seven forty-six and Mark fifteen thirty-three and 34. Matthew's account says, Now when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Again, this is found only in Matthew and Mark's accounts. Now, some are aware of this, but perhaps some are not. Jesus is quoting Psalm 22, 1. And in my mind, because of the context Because of the religious leaders and the Jewish culture and setting and their knowledge of God's Word, it would serve us well to consider carefully Psalm 22, at least for a few moments. Look with me, if you're able, to Psalm 22. We'll be reading, I'll be reading Psalm 22. I want to give Jesus' statement from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some deep contemplation. There has been a lot of things that have been said about this verse that I am convinced, I have become convinced through my study, my careful, deep study, is incorrect. And there are four at least ideas that I want to briefly consider that I think are incorrect. Some think that Jesus was saying he was separated from the Father on the cross. Some say that by saying what he said, Jesus was saying he was paying for our sins in hell or that he would go to hell when he died and thus be forsaken by the Father. Some believe that Jesus became a sinner, a violator of God's will on the cross, and that's what he means when he said, Father, why have you forsaken me? And then there's another idea that's commonly 
taught or thought to be true, that the Father, no, Jesus didn't become a sinner, but the Father took away His divine favor from Jesus while Jesus was on the cross. He had to look away because what was happening was so terrible. All of these four ideas, I truly believe, are incorrect. And what I want us to do is go back for just a moment and look at Psalm 22. Join me there. If you're not able to turn there, listen as I read aloud. I'm going to try to read it uh, as clearly, as straightforward, and as succinct as possible. We're familiar with the very first verse. What this psalm is, is a prayer of a righteous sufferer, David. And it begins by expressing abandonment. Look with me at the first five verses, at how the psalmist felt forsaken. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear, and in the night season, and am not silent. But you are holy and thrown in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you, they trusted, and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. Paul's there. So even in the first five verses, not only does he express his great hurt because he feels forsaken, but he notes that indeed in times past God's people were not forsaken. God's people trusted in him and God delivered them. They were not forsaken. Now in verses 6 through 13, these words describe how it appeared he, David, had been forsaken by God. How people looked at him and people treated him, although David was loyal to the Lord, to Jehovah. Verse 6, But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. Again, see how the people were treating him, how they perceived him. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breasts. I was cast upon you from birth. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. So again, here he describes how he was rejected by others. Then verses 14 through 18 he describes his suffering. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death for dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Wow. Truly, the psalmist was suffering. 
Now watch his prayer for deliverance, 19 through 21. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me, O my strength. Hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword for, excuse me, my life or my precious life. Let me get verse 20 again. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. You have answered me. So he cries out for deliverance here. And he claims that God heard him. And not only heard him, but answered him. You have answered me. Now notice David's thanksgiving for deliverance. Verse 22, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and fear him, all you offspring of Israel. Notice why. Verse 24, For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, he heard. And then he continues saying how he's going to praise the Lord in verses 25 through 31. And how from time to come, a posterity shall serve Jehovah, verse 30. And how they will come and declare God's righteousness to a people who are not yet born, but will be born. That he has done this, some, something God did. Well, what did God do in Psalm 22 context? He delivered David and God's people as a whole. He delivered them. So Psalm 22, verse 1, admittedly, it begins as a prayer of a righteous sufferer in words by expressing abandonment. Why have you forsaken me? But then it moves into how God did deliver people, God's people of times past, and how people look at God's people as being rejected by God. He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him, let God deliver him since he delights in him. Psalm 22 verse 8. And then it closed it closes with a celebration of God's vindication, that God vindicated, God did deliver, God did not forsake. Again, this makes me think of the words of our Lord, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Again, a lot has been said about this verse that I am convinced is not correct. Jesus was not separated from the Father, and I'm going to make a case why. Jesus did not pay for our sins in hell, and I can, if I remember, I'll try to give a case why. That's just careless to think that. Further, Jesus did not become a sinner on the cross. That, that's a damnable conclusion to think that Jesus was a sinner on the cross when he bore our sins in his body, First Peter 2. That, that's wrong. He didn't become a sinner by bearing our sins as the sin bearer. He himself was not a sinner. And furthermore, the Father did not take away his divine favor from Jesus while Jesus was on the cross. Like, like the Father had to turn away his face. He couldn't look at it. Now keep in mind the context of Psalm 22, and let's look back at Matthew 27. 
Matthew 27. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, that means God forsook him. Let's, let's go back and consider what's been happening to Jesus. Had Jesus been previously mistreated prior to this statement? Absolutely. And they had hurled many insulting statements against him, mocking him that he was the king of the Jews, verse 37, wagging their heads and blaspheming and saying things like, you who destroyed the temple and built it in three days, save yourself. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. And then the religious leaders, the chief priests, mocked with the scribes and elders. And here's what they said. He saved others. Himself he can't save. If he's the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross. We'll believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will save him. For he said, I'm the son of God. Those are some of the exact words and ideas that were hurled at godly David some, some 1,000 years before this. We know that from Psalm 22. And it's in that kind of setting that Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Jews knew what the text said. They didn't have a problem of access to God's word. They had God's word. They knew God's word. They didn't do it. Jesus never condemned the Pharisees by saying, Y'all don't even have the right scriptures. You have the wrong books. Or, or you know, you don't even know what the text says. No. No. Jesus would accuse them by accusing them to Moses. He said, Moses accuses you. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And they are they that testify of me. But the problem is, you are not willing to come to me. Matthew 5, 30, 9, and 40. Now, Jesus said on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Two things that I want us to consider. Whatever we make of this statement from the cross, we must consider these two things. Number one, look with me at a time just prior to Matthew 27, 46, recorded in the book of John, chapter 16, verse 32. John 16, verse 32. Jesus said very clearly, Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, has now come, that you will be scattered each to his own. You remember that all the disciples forsook him and fled. None of them attempted to defend him before his accusers. He would be left alone by the apostles. But was Jesus completely alone? Verse 32, the Lord Jesus said, no, I'm not completely alone. And yet I am not alone. Now, folks, if you've been forsaken, you're alone. If you've been forsaken not only by your friends, but you've been forsaken by God, you're alone. But the Lord Jesus said, I am not alone because the Father is with me. Folks, if the Father forsook Jesus on the cross, then the Father was not with him. And yet the Lord said, the Father is with me. And the nature of the Greek language here is not just he's with me right this second, but later he won't be with me. It's a continual action. He continues to be with me. You can study that on your own. Now, here's the thing. Whatever we make of Jesus' statement, my God, my God, 
Why have you forsaken me? Whatever we make of that. Jesus was not forsaken just a few hours before. Or excuse me, he was not mistaken. When he said just a few hours before, I'm not alone because the Father's with me. So whatever we make of my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It doesn't mean that the Father forsook him, that he was alone. It has a deeper context. It has a deeper meaning. It has to. Because if Jesus was forsaken by the Father on the cross, then Jesus was not only mistaken because he said, I'm not alone. The Father's with me. He continues to be with me. But he lied. And we're not prepared to accept that. Jesus lied. He not only was mistaken and wrong, but he himself lied. He violated God's will by lying. The Father would not be with him. Indeed, if it means that the Father actually forsook him, that he became some sinner on the cross, or that God couldn't look upon it, and he couldn't look upon it with divine favor. I think some people mean well, And they just think it means that the father couldn't look at it because it hurt his heart so bad, so he had to turn away for a moment and these kinds of things. And what I want us to consider in just a moment is, I don't even think that's correct. I'm sure that it saddened the heart of God to see his son treated that way, but yet it pleased the father to bruise him, the prophet said, Isaiah 53. I don't think the Father would look away from that which pleased him. I'm not prepared to accept such a conclusion, such an idea. So if Jesus was forsaken by the Father while he was on the cross, Jesus was not only mistaken when he said, I'm not alone, the Father's with me, but he lied. We need to think about that very carefully when we try to interpret a passage that Jesus quoted from the Old Testament from the cross or on the cross. Now, here's another thing that I want folks to consider very very carefully we need to consider when jesus said or asked the question why have you forsaken me does god ask questions for answers you see i have come to believe that god does not ask questions because he doesn't know the answer i do not think jesus is on the cross going i, you know, I just don't get it I don't get why he's forsaken me. I just don't get it. I always did those things that pleased him, John 8. You know, which of you convicts me of sin? I haven't sinned, but yet he's forsaken me. I just don't get it. Why? 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 Why have you forsaken me? Folks, I don't think that's it at all. We need to consider that God doesn't ask questions for answers. He asks questions for our contemplation, for our understanding, for our learning. And and I've heard good brethren say, well, the reason that Jesus was forsaken was because of me. And look, I get it, folks. The Father didn't deliver Jesus. I get it. Jesus prayed, you know, let this cup pass. But we need to keep in mind, somebody says, well, see, the Father didn't answer that prayer. He said, no, I won't let the cup pass. You need to drink the cup. You need to die. I love mankind. I get get that. I get that. But the Father was not separated from the Son. The Son was not separated from the Father. Jesus did not pay for our sins in hell. Jesus did not become a sinner on the cross, a violator of God's will. 
And the Father did not take away his divine favor from Jesus while he was on the cross. All those things contradict other plain truths. Jesus said, the Father is with me, John 16, 32. And he wasn't mistaken and he didn't lie. And God doesn't ask questions for answers. He asks questions for our contemplation. Consider Genesis 3, verse 9. Genesis 3, 9. Sure, Jesus was not delivered from the cross because it was the will of God that he should die and that we be saved through his death. I get that, and I believe that you believe that too. But again, just consider with me that God does not ask questions for answers, but for contemplation, for our learning. Remember Adam and Eve and their sin? God called to Adam, Genesis 3, 9, said, Where are you? Did God not really know where he was? Well, yeah, he knew. Verse 11, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree that I commanded you not to eat of? Did, did Jehovah not actually know that they had eaten of the tree that he had told them not to eat of? He knew. Why did he ask that, though? Did he ask that for, for straight answers because he didn't know? No, for their deep contemplation to realize where they are. And Jesus, not Jesus, but God, asks another question. Genesis 3.19, the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? Did, did Jehovah not knew? Did he not know what she had done? Yeah, he knew. Well, why did he ask that? And we could go on through, I mean, all through Jesus' life, Jesus would ask certain questions. Folks, I, I, I profess to you, he didn't ask these questions because he didn't know the answer. He asked these questions to, to teach, to cause others to think deeply. So... So what does Matthew 27, 46 mean? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All right, consider this with me. Jesus is quoting David. We've already established that, Psalm 22. And he had already done those kinds of things. He had, he had previously quoted David in his ministry already. Look at John chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. John chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. When Jesus found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and money changers and drove them out with a whip of cords, verse 15, he said to those that sold doves, verse 16, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a, a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. Hmm. Jesus had already quoted from David's ministry, showing David's word, or David's, David's words, God's words, David's psalm, I should say, and showing how it was completely or ultimately fulfilled in his own ministry, Jesus' own ministry. And I encourage you, you know, go back and read Psalm 69 where this is found. Oh, I wish I... Oh, that all would listen to this entire podcast and not, and not, you know, tune out or turn it off. But Psalm 69, verse 8, I have become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's children because zeal for your house has eaten me up and the reproaches of those who, and the reproaches of those who reproach you, God, have fallen on me. Now, and again, please, please read all of Psalm 69. 
Psalm 69, 20, reproach has broken my heart and I am full of heaviness. I looked for someone to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. They also gave me gall for my food. And for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. Just please, please read this whole psalm, Psalm 69. And the way he was treated, it's very similar to Psalm 22. Mm. Psalm 69, verse 26. For they persecute the ones you have struck and talk of the grief of those you have wounded. Add iniquity to their iniquity and let them not come into your righteousness. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living and not be written in the, with the righteous. Wow. David, in Psalm 22 and 69, appeared to be forsaken by God. But he was not. God didn't forsake David. And you read in Psalm 22, you remember the words, I am a worm, verse 6, and no man? Was David a literal worm? No. But he was perceived that way, a low life, a worm. David says he was a reproach of men, despised by the people. Verse 6, I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by people, by the people, his own Hebrew brethren, his own Jewish brethren. So David appeared to be forsaken by God, but was not. David was not a literal worm, but he was perceived as such. He was a reproach of men, despised by God's own people. People were ridiculing David. They shook their head at him and mocked him regarding his trust in God. Verse 7, all those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. You see, people were ridiculing David. They shook their head at David. They mocked David and they mocked that David trusted in his God. But David boldly prayed. Look at Psalm 22, verse 19. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten, hurry to help me. Notice the personal nature of that. Calling on God explicitly and specifically. You, O Lord, don't be far from me. Hasten to help me. Then he emphatically declared, Verse 21, Psalm twenty-two, twenty-one: You have answered me. Verse 21, verse 22, verse 23, verse 24. Read it together. It culminates in, I'm going to praise God because he hadn't despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. I've been afflicted, but he does not despise or abhor that. And he has not hidden his face from me. He has not turned his back on me. He has not forsaken me. When he cried to him, he heard. Yes. Because of David's zeal for God's house, the reproaches of those who reproached God had fallen on David. And the same was true of our Lord Jesus Christ in his ministry and in his death. Our Lord said what he said on the cross to a group of people who were familiar with the Old Testament Psalms. 
Jesus quoting Psalm 22 verse 1 on the cross is his way of saying, I know you think I'm forsaken by God, but I'm not because the Bible says I'm not. The father had not forsaken David, nor turned his ears from his cries, and the same was true of his son. He did not forsake nor turn his ears from the cries of Jesus. Listen to Hebrews 5, verse 7. Who in the days of his flesh, speaking of Messiah, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him, who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. So he was heard. He wasn't forsaken. He was heard. And just because the Father didn't deliver Jesus from that doesn't mean he forsook him. Doesn't mean he turned his back on him. Doesn't mean he looked away. Doesn't mean he wasn't pleased with what actually happened because it was actually God's will that that happened. It was the Father's will for Jesus to die the death that he died. Absolutely. According to the prophet Isaiah 53, verse 10, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin. Let me read that again. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Him who? Messiah. He has put he who? Jehovah has put him, him who? Messiah. God the Father has put God the Son to grief when he made his soul an offering for sin. It was the Father's will for Jesus to die the death that he died, to appear to be forsaken and alone. Jesus' death on the cross according to Paul, was a sweet-smelling aroma to God, Ephesians 5.2. It pleased the Father to bruise Jesus because Jesus was an offering for sin. If it pleased the Father to bruise Jesus because Jesus was an offering for sin, then the Father didn't forsake him. The father didn't turn his back on him or turn his face away from him because he wasn't pleased with him. Hear are the words again from Paul. Ephesians 5, verse 2. Ephesians 5, verse 2. Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Wow. Would the father turn his face away from that which was a sweet-smelling aroma? No. Back to Isaiah 53, dear listener. Isaiah 53. Consider, go back again. Isaiah 53. The Father saw the labor of Jesus' soul and was satisfied. He did not look away in displeasure. Verse 11, Isaiah 53, 11. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. Folks, you don't turn away from that which you are satisfied. When you're satisfied with something, you look upon it and you behold it. Again, I'm sure that, you know, the Father in his heart, I'm sure that it, 
that it hurt him that people were treating him in such a way, but but this was for the eternal salvation of the souls of men and women. And it's the, the prophet says, it pleased the Lord to bruise him, Isaiah 53, 10. And the father saw the labor of the Messiah's soul and was satisfied at that, verse 11, Isaiah 53, 11. So, so let me start to try to wrap this up. What do we learn? What do we learn from this? And incidentally, I've heard this illustration before. Maybe it might be useful to you. If I were to say, amazing grace, you would know the rest of the line. You might have just said the rest of the words in your head automatically because you've heard and sung that song so many times. When Jesus quoted from the cross, my God, my God, why have, why have you forsaken me? They, they were familiar with the Old Testament Psalms. They, they knew that it was the way man looked at him, that he appeared to, David had appeared to be forsaken. They knew that. We can know it too when we read the text. So what do we learn We learn from this what I think to be one of the most incredible lessons that gives me more motivation than... I, I just, being honest with you and personal with you, this gives me... This has been probably the most motivating thing, most motiv motivating study to me that I've ever, you know, done. It, it really has. Because what it teaches us is that the Father and the Son maintained fellowship through the greatest of tragedies and difficulties. And we can too. The people of the world may say a lot of things. They, they make a lot of contrary noise. Satan tempts you to feel away from God when you have given God your heart and you are loyal to Him and to His way. Now, if you're purposely living in sin, folks, we know what that means. We're away from God, and we need to repent and confess our sins to God immediately. But the world says a lot of things that are not true. But Jesus says that He and the Father maintain that fellowship. I am not alone, for my Father is with me. Even in Jesus' most difficult moment, He knew, I am not alone, because the Father is with me. And we can know the same if we'll do what He did. Well, what did he do? First Peter 2, 21, he committed himself to him who judges righteously. And we can learn from this to appreciate, to love, and to cherish the fellowship that we have with God the Father. In all of Jesus' sufferings, he had the assurance that God was with him and that he was doing God's will that he was promoting God's glory, if you will. It doesn't really matter who forsakes us if God is with us in the hour of trial and even in the hour of great pain and death. Even if we are forsaken by others, we appear to the world. Even if we to the world appear to be forsaken by God, it doesn't mean we are. For as Jesus said, I am not alone. The Father 
is with me. A person who's in Christ has this same confidence because of the blood of Jesus. And we can relish in the words of Hebrews 13, verse 5 and 6. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Ah, ah, I need those words. And I trust you do too. We can know the same thing, that we are not alone, that the Father's with us, as long as we will draw near to Him and commit ourselves to Him who judges righteously, 1 Peter 2, 23. So, how can we honor this fourth saying of Jesus from the cross? By living and maintaining fellowship with our God and Father in heaven, in spite of what Satan says, in spite of what the world says. I know why Jesus died. He died for me, and he died for you, and he died for others so that others as well as us, if they will but come to him through the gospel, they can have the same blessings. Don't you love 1 John 2, 1 and 2? My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. He's the atoning sacrifice. He's the mercy seat. He's the reason that I can be right with God. He's the reason that I can have the forgiveness of my sins. I am the reason Jesus died. Think of the words of Paul. I'm crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Very personal. He loved me and gave himself for me. In this episode, I've gone through quite a bit, but I hope that it's been enlightening to you, edifying to you. Do not walk away or do not uh, miss this main idea. God wants to have fellowship with us, and we can through his Son if we will hear his word and in faith do what he has told us to do, and then walk and live for him daily, giving him the honor and the glory because we love him in our hearts and he so deserves it. And we will be able, by the great grace of God and the power of God's word, to maintain that fellowship with him no matter what the world may be saying around us and no matter what I may feel in my heart because, you know, feelings can be oh so misleading, oh so misguiding. Feelings, oh, we don't need to go by our feelings. John wrote, now by this we know that we know him if we feel it in our heart, right? Wrong. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. 1 John 2 Verse 3, if our hearts condemn us, even though we're walking in the light, hey, God knows. God will assure our hearts before Him through His Word. God's greater than our heart. He knows all things. That is, if we love in deed and in truth, 1 John three eighteen. Keep that fellowship that you have with God, brother, Sister, and never let go. 
and He will see us through. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If it added value to your life, please do me a favor. Share this with others who may be interested. It will help the same material be put before others who may be wanting it or needing it, and it will hopefully be a blessing to them. You are a blessing to me to see the downloads uh, that are taking place as I as I publish and and upload these, you know, podcast episodes. It's an encouragement to me. God bless you, and thank you for listening to the Give Me Understanding podcast. And we'll catch you next time.